Now, the whole reason for this series was that um, um, I don't get to uh, be with our assembly very often, and so um, when I'm home in the winter, which is November, December, or uh, December and January, uh, my fellow elders were gracious enough to ask if I'd do a series, and so this series is quite extensive. So if you haven't been able to hear it, hopefully they're posted to our website. I think they are, and and I, I pray that you'll be blessed by it. Um, the church tonight is Laodicea. So let's ask this blessing. Father, as we come to this hour, we're going to need to ask you to just fill us with your spirit so that we might articulate, communicate the word of God for this church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What if God were to write us a letter? Well, what if he wrote us a letter like the letter to Laodicea? Now, again, there is um, a historical reference where people have outlined the churches in Revelation to a series of time elements uh, from the first century till now. And so many you'll hear say, well, we're in the Laodicean age. And uh, again, there's there's probably some real credibility to that discussion. But at the same time, I feel as if we should talk about what if we received a letter like the church to Laodicea? And that kind of brings this focus down to where we live and eat and breathe. Let's read the text and then we'll begin our discussion. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, this is Revelation chapter 3 verse 14. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, these things were says the Amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning and create of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Oh, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white gar- and white garments and you may be clothed and and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on the throne as I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Very moving letter. Very moving. The last four verses are dripping with the, with the call of Christ upon your life. Now we have a little outline tonight on this uh, message titled the church to a letter to the church of Laodicea. And the outline is simple. There are five points. Where are our homiletic students here? You should be writing these down. All right. Goes like this. Christ's character. Christ's character. Verse 14. Christ's comments. 15 through 17. Christ's counsel, verse 18. Christ chastens, verses 19 and 20. And Christ's call, verse 21. 
All right, let's uh, go over our city history, uh, named after the wife of Antiochus, and after building it, of course, he, he named it for her. Whoops, that's not what I wanted. I need to get rid of that. And I do it like that. And then I go like this. This. How do I advance it, Patrick? Oh, there we go. All right, it's location along the Lycus Valley, same valley as Arapolis and Colossae, again, on a major road that uh, went uh, through that region. And uh, let's see, this, this, which way do I swipe? Ah, that way. All right, it's known for several things. Number one, it was known for its black wool. Now, this is important in the text because it says you you think you, you're clothed, that you need to buy clothes from me. And he says uh, uh, this particular textile industry was well known across the ancient world of the Roman Empire, and therefore it brought in a huge amount of income. Not only that, there was a gold repository, kind of like a, a, a Fort Knox kind of thing. And it was so wealthy as a city that they did not need to borrow from Rome during the earthquakes of 17 and 16 AD. They financed it themselves. In fact, one person, Cicero, came to that city to borrow so that he they, he could rebuild. And so you have a, a real uh, uh, upscale city, a very well-to-do city that would... Um, that would uh, uh, take care of its people. Educationally, it had a school of medicine. I'm always glad when there's a school of medicine because we're always practicing. <laughs> Never mind. All right. Now, specifically, they were uh, uh, known for their school of ophthalmology. I almost went into ophthalmology, and I then saw the light. So, um, the... <laughs> Steve, did you get that? Did you get that? Okay. And so uh, the School of Ophthalmology developed uh, an eye salve of the ancient world that was known for its healing properties. Remember, this is terminology that will show up in the letter in just a moment. And, of course, what about their religion? Well, because it was a school of medicine, they worshipped the god of healing, and, and also they had emperor worship uh, to boot, uh, as well as uh, worshipping Zeus, the the head of the pantheon of gods. Now, Ramsey writes a very interesting book, and it's called the Churches, or the Letters to the Churches, and he comments sort of historically on each town. And his theory is that what features of the city was there, the Lord, the Lord applied them to the local church, and then he addressed those issues. And so, if you study the features of the city, you'll get an idea of the condition of the church. And Ramsey makes this comment. He says. There's really nothing notable about Laodicea. They weren't very big in excesses. They weren't very big in accomplishments. Oh, sure, they had the banking system and the textile industry. But really, they were um, sort of indefensible uh, because of their water supply. They did not have their own water supply. There's, there's two things that an ancient world city needed. It was a water supply and a defensibility. And usually that means they built on a hill. Well, they didn't have any water supply, so all you had to do was just uh, set up a perimeter and starve them out and make them die of thirst, literally speaking. And so they couldn't afford to get anybody upset they had to stay in the middle. They 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 couldn't uh, be too zealous about one thing or another, whether it be politics or or non-political issues. Architecturally, this place uh, because it didn't have its own water supply, they built aqueducts several 10, 15 miles away, one from the hot springs of Arapolis and one from the cold springs of Colossae, and they'd bus or or, or trough their water in. 
Of course, by the time that it made it to Laodicea itself, it wasn't quite the temperature that it started out. No church history, no record of how this church came into existence. Um, there was one reference to it in the book of Colossians. I put it uh, uh, on the uh, on the screen there. Let's see if I can get this to work in Colossians there. And that was uh, the only reference we have. Now, having said that, I'm going to turn that off and swipe again. Let's go back to the text and read what Jesus says about his character. Verse 14. These things says the amen. Now, the word amen in Greek is amin, and it's the same word you pronounce in Arabic. And uh, it, 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 it has this idea of so be it, but there's more to that than that. Uh, you would say, you would translate it, truly, truly, it's the same word, I say unto you. Um, uh, it's, it's certainly, certainly is the idea. And Jesus is saying he's of that, uh, he's of that dimension. He is the person that is the amen. I am certainty. Uh, I am the one that is valid, that is sure. And he's saying that uh, a human response to this needs to happen. You Laodiceans need to respond to who I am. Now notice the next thing he says about his character. He says he's the faithful and true witness. Now, faithful means trustworthy. True means genuine. Witness means testifier. It's the same word you get to martyr uh, from in the New Testament or in the English language. And so he says in no uncertain terms, not only am I the amen, the truly, truly, the certain one, the one with, with validity and, and surety, but I'll go one step beyond that. You can trust me. You can trust me, Laodiceans. I'm not coming to you with some sort of made-up uh, analysis. My analysis of you is true and right. And you would know that it's genuine. I have a genuine care for you. I have a genuine desire for you. You'll see that come out in the last four verses. And thus, I am an accurate witness before the Father in heaven of your spiritual condition. And God and Christ is like that of us, isn't he? He is, he is trustworthy for us. He is genuine with us. He is, is a testifier of accurate facts for us. I love that about the Savior. There's no pretense. There's no cover. There's no hypocrisy. There's no sort of, oh, I wonder who he's talking to this time. He is right on cue. He's on spot all the time, every time. And that's what he's telling these Christians. Now, notice it says he's the beginning of the creation of God. We've talked about this in previous letters, so I won't go into detail. But it's not, it's not that he is the first one created, as you know, but he originated, enacted creation, and thus he's the first order of creation, meaning he put it into existence. Therefore, you'd put him at the front of the line is the idea. And so we have that statement about the Savior. Now, it's an authoritative statement. If I created you, the church, that means I have the right to evaluate you, my church. If I am the one who who brought you into this world, I have the right to raise you as I have, as I am your parent. And this is the concept that's coming together. Now, uh, when his reference to creation itself has this idea, of course, that he exists outside the barriers of time, and therefore his his superiority of creation reigns. Now, what about the comments? Our character is in 14, the comments are in 15 and 17, or 15 through 17. He says, I know your works. Now that, we don't need to go into know anymore. It's a pretty, uh, uh, clear what we've discussed in the past of that he understands all the details of their existence. But he says this, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
Now, some translations wrote cold, uh, so you are either cold or hot. It's actually neither. And it refers, I believe, to the aqueduct system. So, um, they, the average Laodicean would, uh, would, uh, have a hard day and he would want to come home and go to the trough where the city water came through and, and he wanted a cold drink of water. Now, I like cold water. So I love ice. Some people don't like ice. I love ice. Okay. I like it cold. And so there's nothing more refreshing to get all that ice and to take that water out and, you know, and you, when you're a real hot summer day, you just want to stand under that and just, just, just drown yourself, right? And then after you do that, you, you, you maybe want to take a, a nice hot bath or a hot shower. And so you want to get in there. I don't know about you, but, but, uh, you know, I just stand there like, ah, oh, this is great, you know, and just totally sort of get cleaned up. Now, can you imagine that? Working a hot day, a long day in Laodicea, you were working in the factory at the wool uh, textile industry, you smell bad, you come home, it's a hot summer day, you go to get the water, and boy, it wasn't what you thought, and you go, <laughs> Have you ever drank, uh, you thought it was water, and it turned out to be Sprite? Did anybody ever do that? I mean, that just totally drops your socks, doesn't it? And, and if you're in front of that person, watch out. Just get out of the way, right? Well, this is the idea. And he's saying, listen, it, you, you have this situation about you. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm just like one of the normal citizens there. Your taste for me or uh, the way I taste you is a surprise. And that's why I wish you were either cold or either hot, but you're neither. You're lukewarm. Now, I imagine this was probably a shock to them. I mean, they have this magnificent feat of architectural design that stretches from two other cities that comes into our town. I mean, that's amazing. No, that engineering group was phenomenal. So this must be a surprise. What, 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 we're, 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 you know, we, we got nice stuff. The Lord says it doesn't matter about your stuff, you see. You see, there, there's a problem with your heart condition. Now, he says, I wish you were cold or hot. I wish there was something that would change here. See, that that's the desire. Did you hear the desire of the Lord's heart? I don't want you to stay in your situation. Now, we're going to have to unpack. Well, what do you mean by this lukewarm? What is this condition you're talking about? Well, look here. I, I glossed over this too quickly. Do you see that last point? Christ is so nauseated to the point that he would want to vomit you out. That, that's a very strong language. And, and when you, when you think about that, that should sort of stop you in your tracks. I, I meant to mention this before I go on to the next point. Um, many years ago, some of us would go to the Bill Gothard seminars. Did you guys do that? Yeah, we did too. I think we sat next to you one time. Uh, Mr. Gothard is aged now, and, and he helped many of us back in those days, didn't he? He had some good things to say. Um, but one of his messages, he opened like this, and he said, he's talking about Chicago where his ministry began, and, and he was talking about um, having a, a, a really beautiful mansion, I think was donated to their ministry. And he would dang, take gang members over to this super, you know, marble, granite, 
double staircases, beautiful chandeliers, ornate paintings and, 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 uh, you know, trim work and, and carpet and tile. And he'd take him into these beautiful man, this beautiful mansion. And, uh, he would sit down and teach the young people there. And he said, he said, now how many of you young people feel like you're hot for God, that you are ready to die, send me to the mission field? And a few said, well, you know, not, that's, I don't know if that's me. And so then he said, well, how many do you feel if you're super cold that you just don't care about the thing? Well, I don't, I'm not that. He said, so you think you're in the middle, right? And they go, yeah, yeah. And then he'd open up and he says, let me, let me read to you what God says about being in the middle. And he read, I, as because you're lukewarm, I'd rather vomit you out of my mouth. And there was cold silence in the room. You see, it's a very shocking statement. It would be as if, not that I would ever say this to you, Travis, but it would be if, if he said, Travis, you, you make me so sick, I want to throw up, right? Well, that's really insulting, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'd never say that to you, because it's not true. But it was true here. It was true here. And I can't imagine if the Lord said that to us. Wouldn't that be a shocker? And I think it would be a shocker to the Laodiceans. All right, now let's move on. Okay. What makes this, what makes this thing upside down? Well, notice the assessment, okay? Now I refer you to verse 17. Because you say, that's a self-assessment. The average citizen was looking at themselves and making the assessment of themselves in the church. Because you say, now, that I am rich, I have become wealthy, and need of nothing. Those are a little bit of cultural references, but it says that they had enough gold, that they didn't need Rome's help. We are self-sufficient. Notice it says this, um, that they were uh, independent of him because of their self-sufficiency. Now, this is a very big deal. When we get to the point as an assembly where we feel as if we don't need the help of the Lord, that we really can manage without anything else, well, that's when we actually enter into a condition called lukewarmness, where we're neither hot nor cold. We have uh, inflated an estimate of our own viability, our own survivability. You know, God has given us in this assembly a host of gifts, both men and women, and it's phenomenal. When I travel around the country, this assembly is one of the most blessed assemblies I've seen. And yet, the danger we have is that we would become self-sufficient in what we have and not cast ourselves upon the Lord. We would overestimate ourselves. That's what makes you lukewarm. It isn't necessarily the intensity of your passion. It's the wrong assessment of your condition. Now look at what it says next, all right? He says, i get myself caught up here. He says, not only is you say you're rich, but you do not know. You do not know. You, you have the wrong perception. That's the tragedy. You become, I am rich. I become wealthy. I have need of nothing. You don't know that you are what? Well, that you're wretched. Look at this word for wretched. It means that you are in a state of emergency. All right. So, um, this month, I have to stay here, don't I? This month, I've worked a few shifts in the emergency department, and I've actually had to sit for two medical exams to make sure I stay uh, qualified in emergency medicine. By the grace of God, just passed the last one today. 
Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so that means that I'm still licensed to be crazy. All right. But I saw several patients in the last two or three shifts that they had a state of emergency. That if the right thing wasn't done in the right way in the right time, I knew that patient was going to die. In fact, one with meningitis, I was so worried. I lost sleep at home. The next day I went in to, to check on her and she was doing better. And I saw her yesterday. She, she was back to normal. I said, do you remember me? She goes, not a chance. It's okay. You don't really need to remember me. But that state of emergency, that night when she came in and she needed the spinal tap and all that stuff, my, my, my pulse was up. My palms were sweating because I knew that you needed this to live. This is what he means by wretched. You are in a state of emergency. You think that you're just cruising on the yacht and everything's good. You're rich. You have, you have everything you need. You got your servants. You got your wealth. You got this. You got that. But I need to tell you something. Your condition is exactly opposite of your diagnosis. It's worse than what you think, and it's terribly worse. Now, then he says this. You're miserable. You're in the worst possible condition. Many years ago, back in the 70s, don't fall over about that, I was young. I was like eight, okay? And uh, my parents moved to Japan for two years. And so we lived in Nagoya, but we went to visit Hiroshima. What's that? I can move? Oh, yes. So we went to Hiroshima. And when we went to Hiroshima, Hiroshima is where they dropped the nuclear bomb in World War II. So they had lots of memorials. And so we went to the, uh, to one of these memorials. It was like a museum. And when we went in, um, they had photographs of what the city looked like after the bomb was dropped. And it was devastating. It was, there was, uh, like some of the maybe World War II pictures you saw just uh, little little pe- little pieces of brick, maybe six feet tall, and that was a monstrous building, and it was just powder dust. You know, uh, it was it was awful. And, and body people would walk around in days. Not a lot of them were just killed, but just in days about what it was. You see, it was the worst condition. You see a lot of those pictures of in Ukraine today. Same idea, and people walking around in a daze. Well, this is this word miserable like you'd see in times of war. You know, and we see those pictures, for example, from the Ukraine today. Our heart goes out, right? It's pitiable. Now, the third one is poor. That means you're penniless. Boy, can you imagine? This is such a shock. What do you mean I'm penniless? I got a full... I, my, my account's in the temple over there. I got a lot of gold. They say, no, no, it's the exact opposite of what you know. I'll never forget the patient I saw that when she came in, she had chest pain, and I, I, and I said to her, uh, where does your chest hurt? She says, right here. I pulled down the gown, and she had uh, cancer growing out of her skin. And, uh, and I said, does your chest hurt right here? She goes, oh, yes. I said, how long has this been growing on your chest? She goes, there's nothing growing on my chest. She was in total denial. This is what this church was doing. They had an awful condition, and they said, I'm okay. That's the definition of lukewarm. You can see it. He called them lukewarm. Then he defined it, and he used this terminology, and he showed a disconnect between what they really are and what they thought they were. 
Saints, this is what makes lukewarmness, Laodicea, so dangerous. It's an absolute blindness. That's why he identifies it so. Now you can imagine what fear that would put in me, not only for our assembly, but for our our assemblies all across North America. Lord, do we think we're okay? But we're wretched, miserable, poor, poor, blind, and naked? I don't know. Sometimes I think that's our problem, right? Sometimes I think we've overestimated ourselves. Oh, you assembly folks, you're a people of the book. Really? Really? Oh, you assembly folks, you know, you, you practice this, you do that, you're conservative. So, are we overestimating ourselves? You see, I think what we want to do is not say, well, let's do the math again. No, no, no. Just go to the Savior and say, hey, Lord, with all due respect, what do you think about my heart condition? Just let him do the math and the chemistry and the, and the analysis on your heart. Oh, it's, 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 that's the report you want. I think you young men are doing A.P. Gibbs's book, The Preacher and His Preaching, right? Uh, is that the one you use in the, uh, hom- homiletics class? It may, of course, it's on, based on The Preacher and His Preaching. Okay, so there's a little, there's a little, um, in the, in the real book, The Preacher and His Preaching, there's a little, um, story that talks about, um, a man who was serving the Lord. And he says, life was busy, Christian service was outstanding, people were getting saved, saints were being edified, and as I fell and drifted off to sleep in the comfort of my own bed, I began to dream. And as I dreamed, I imagined there was this empty room and I was in it. And this, suddenly this, this, this man appeared out of nowhere. He looked all official, all brisk, all tailored, all well-kept, and he looked at me with a sternness of eye. And as I saw his eye, I immediately snapped to attention, for I knew that he was there not for conversation, but he was there to evaluate my soul. He asked me, he said, how is your zeal today, my friend? And I envisioned in my zeal as if it was a commodity that I could take out of my, my pocket. And I pulled it out and I handed it to him And the great chemist of all time looked at it and he put it on a scale and he said, hmm, 100 grams. I couldn't help but crack a smile as as I sort of puffed my chest at the weight of my zeal. But he didn't share that same look. He quickly went to work and he began to look at my zeal and analyze it within the chemistry set before him. And so he began to put it in the crucible and heat it up. And, 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 and as he did, impurities began to come to the top. And he would let it cool as he took it off the burner and then tipped it over and cracked out the layers. And he did it again and again and again. And he would carefully write down all the details of each measurement. And after several hours of, of tedious work, he turned to me and handed me the piece of paper. And he said, may God have mercy on your soul. And I, with great fear and trepidation, read the report. Weight of zeal, 100 grams. Love of self, 75 grams. Love of praise, 20 grams. Love of fortune, 5 grams. And he went on down and he got to the last one and it said, love for God, 0.2 grams. 
And in that moment, what I thought was great was actually the worst report ever. I was wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And he said in the text, the story, I'm embellishing it some, I fell on my knees and I said, God, I called upon you to forgive me once. I must call upon you now to change me again. That's the Laodicean story, isn't it? Now, let's move on. He says you're blind. Again, this idea of this physical blindness, and, and it was a cure in the city. He said you're spiritually blind. Look also at this next one. You're, you're uh, naked. This idea that you are well clothed with all the black wool that you could put your fingers on and your hands on, but actually spiritually, you're scantily clothed. You have no clothes. You, are, my friend, are truly spiritually embarrassed. Thus, he goes on, and he says, that's the definition of lukewarm. They're in the worst possible condition. Well, let's go on to the next thing that Christ has to say. And that's this one. Oops. His counsel. So we had his character. We had his comments. We had his counsel. Excuse me, his comments. Now we have his counsel. And he says, I want you to do something for me. I counsel you, verse 18, to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Get your gold from the right place that you really, really, really may be truly rich. And and look at these, again, references to the culture and to his analysis. And white garments that you may be clothed. You need garments. You don't need the black wool. You don't need the finest in the land. You need the right source of your clothing. It's me. All these concepts he's going to talk from here to the end of the letter are, it's about you and I. It's us and, it's us together. So get your gold from me. Buy your white garments from me that your nakedness not be revealed, indicating that they had nakedness, that they were unclothed. He says, gold refined in fire. I'm sorry, I'm skipping so fast here. He says, I want you to get the glory of heaven. It's Christ. I want you to, to uh, find your, your clothing with me. I want you to put the right kind of eye salve on your eyes. I want you to see again. Do you hear the shepherd's call coming out? The shepherd's uh, counsel? Oh, listen, just come to the right place. Just come to the right doctor or to the right medical school. Come to the right garment store. Come to the right place. Oh, I want you to come. Can you hear the voice of Christ? He's back. He's begging. And he says, this is how you fix it. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping through. Time is really escaping. And then he says in verse 19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. This is his chastening passage here, 19 and 20. He says this, therefore be zealous and repent. So he says, I have to say this to you. It's hard. It's harsh. I'm going to have to tell you that. And then I'm going to have to re-educate you. That's what I'm doing this for. You know, one of the hardest things in medicine is to tell the patient their diagnosis when they thought it was okay, but it's my cancer. And then I have to say, this is what we do next. I have to give them a treatment plan. Christ is giving them a treatment plan. 
And he is saying to them, I only do it because I love you. Family love does this kind of work. So he says, turn all of you, turn, you find that zealousness within your soul and you use it to change your mind about what you think and get out of this lukewarm condition of discrepancy between what you are and what you're not. And come unto me and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you in this condition. I want you to make it right. Redirect your thinking, he says. Give you a seizure looking at that. He says, listen, listen, behold is a word that says, look it. That's what he means by that, right? And he says, look here. I'm standing at the door. I've been knocking for some time. It's in the perfect tense. I've been knocking or I had knocked before and I'm still knocking now. What's he doing? He's wanting to come in. What does that imply? That he's on the outside of the church. He's on the outside wanting to come in. You kick somebody out, they may never want to come back. But the Lord Jesus is apparently shoved out and he wants so badly to come back. He even says it this way. If you just open the door, I'll come in. See all this togetherness, you and Christ? I'll come in. And and if you hear me and open the door, that means you can only open. It's like it's only a doorknob on the inside, not on the outside. He says, I'll come in. And you know what we'll do? I just love this about the Savior. You know what we'll do? We'll have dinner. The word dine is the word for the evening meal, the biggest meal of the day. He's saying, we will get together and we will do what we've been missing. We will have the loveliest of dinners together and you and I will enjoy each other's presence again. Can you hear the shepherd in this? Can you hear the call he has on the church today? And he's he's just grabbing a hold of your heartstrings and he's yanking them close to his bosom. Oh, Saint. This letter, the Ephesian letter and the, and the letter to the church of Ephesus are the two most moving letters for me. Because I see the Savior just almost weeping outside the door. Oh, please. Please open the door. I'll come in. It's not because I'm cold. I just want to be with you. It's not because I'm hungry. I just want to be with you. It's not because I'm thirsty. I just want to be with you. Can we be together? Please. Doesn't that make you cry? Doesn't that make you want something more than than our, you know, routine? Makes me want more. And that's what we want to be as a church of God today. We want to be responsive to this passionate plea of the Savior. He goes on, and I'll quickly end this. He says he's knocking. That's he's proactive. He's initiating to us. He's persisting to us. Oh, my friends, let's respond to this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Will we not? If anyone hears, let him open. If anyone will hear, let him open his heart to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, to me. If you overcome, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you, this is the dying, the dying one. I'm going to move ahead. He who overcomes, I'm going to give you the, a chance to sit down with me and the Father. See, I'm not going to just come in and you and I are going to sit together. 
I'm going to take you places. And I'm going to take you to the place where my father sits because I'm sitting with him too. You see, I overcame. What did he overcome? Sin and death, resurrection, all that stuff. And he says, and I sit with my father. And you know what? You can sit with me too and we'll enjoy the father together on the throne. I believe that this message is very appropriate for the church today. Maybe not your lives, but mine. It pulls at me every time I think about it, every time I review it, every time I look at it. And I just pray that we would be a church, an assembly that has an ear to hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. So remember, it's Christ's character. It's Christ's comments. It's Christ's counsel. It's Christ's chastening. But it's Christ's call. Right? Anybody we send out, we want this to be in their mind's eye. Anybody that serves, we want this to be in your heart. Every father, every mother, deacon, elder, this is it. That's what we want. Well, it's time for me to hush up. Thank you for letting me do this series. I'm sorry I had to rush through this last one so much. Uh, but uh, I pray the Spirit of God would bring to your mind what you would like to, what you would have to remember, what He would have you remember. I'll turn it back over to you, Zach.